everyone. Welcome to Or Something, the podcast where we talk about the origins of things or something. Uh, I'm Kristen. I almost said I'm Carla. (laughs) 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 And we're off to a great start. (laughs) Uh, Yikes. (laughs) I'm Kristen. And this is Carla. Hi. (laughs) The real Carla. The actual Carla. (laughs) Oh, boy. So we had a bit of a break last week. How was your week off? Um, What'd you do? It was fine. I missed doing the podcast, but... I know, right? But guess what? What? I'm mildly, slightly more prepared this time. Whoa. (laughs) Stop the presses. (laughs) Also, I'm going to say this now. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to sound like AM radio, <laughs> radio. <laughs> We're going to sound little whatever, because after the nightmare I just experienced with these cables and microphones, I'm like, yeah, nope. we have some tech problems, whatever. We're amateurs. Leave us alone. And we're going to stay now. that way. No. Right? Well, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. My also, anxiety how would you just know what AM radio <laughs> sounds like? You're Silence. an avid listener to, I wish I even had an example of like some funny example of. AM radio actually makes me so angry because you listen to it and it's so, it sounds so bad. And I'm thinking really in the, today's day and age, like I clearly don't understand the point of AM radio. I didn't Probably know it like still existed. For I guess well, yeah. for farmers. You know, like the talk radio <laughs> for farmers. No, that like sports guy's always on. And I'm like, what did he say? Don't, don't have internet. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I always associate, like, CBC. So in Canada, we've got CBC. There's, like, specific... And I just associate that with AM radio. Yeah, and that's still around. Like, talk radio. Yeah. Which is basically podcasting, but worse? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? You get angry callers in who rant about the government, even if they're talking about hockey. Yeah, good point. (laughs) Okay, we went off on a tangent. And good news. What's the good news? Even though this has no place in our podcast, whatever. Um, Flynn, my nephew, he's getting a puppy. What? Yeah, it's official. Oh my gosh, what kind of puppy? It's going to be um, an Irish setter mixed <gasps> with a poodle. What? They are. They have such character, oh, and they're so cute. So cute. Yeah. So I'm like, Yay! When does he get it? November fifth. Oh my gosh! Is it a boy or a girl? They don't know yet. They have what? like third choice of the litter. So okay. Yeah, they're kind of. So they'll go and pick whatever. <laughs> yeah. Does he have Whatever. names picked out? Is he excited? If it's a boy, uh-huh. his mom is adamant that the name is Chester. Okay, I like that. I like Chester. I think it's yeah. cute. And girl, we have no idea. Flynn okay. thought of Zelda. Which I oh, that's actually pretty cute. Kind of cute, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then his mom thought of Peaches. <laughs> oh my God. Of course she would. <laughs> <laughs> but then I told her. A neighbor a few houses down has a dog named Peaches or had a dog named Peaches. Are you serious? So, mm-hmm. How is that a dog name? How like, is why it not are people a dog doing name? it? Come on, Peaches. 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 Come here, Peaches. That's just right? creepy. It's adorable. <laughs> no. Whatever. Don't How do was it, man. your two weeks off? Oh, good. Uh, my sister and I That's went. enough. <laughs> <laughs> It was great, thanks. <laughs> <Jerk>. <laughs> um, do you want to go first this week, or should I go first? 
I'm gonna get that. Well, you didn't want to hear about it, you bastard. No, my story has to do with something I did on my little vacation. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay, you go first then. It's your okay. turn. Anyway. Okay, I'll lead into. It. I'll tell people a little bit about my week before since I was so rudely cut off. Someone out there cares. Holding yourself. No, nobody out there cares. Um, so I went for, had a week off with my sister. It was great. We went to the coast and drank a lot and ate a lot <laughs> and did a lot of fun things. It was fantastic and relaxing. And we saw a bunch of bears, which was crazy. <laughs> All the things. But one thing that we did... You know, on because a- you associate bears with the coast. Because <laughs> I'm thinking like California oh, yeah, beaches for some reason. It could be reason. any coast. Yeah. There's like... We saw bears. Bears going out. I love We're it. We're in Canada. Listen, it's what happens here. <laughs> I'm just going to perpetuate a bunch of stereotypes. But it's true we stayed in, case, in so. Igloo. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that we did was I went for the first time to get um, a, like a psychic reading done. Oh, no. And I've it was always like, wanted to do that. Oh, so I don't much. believe in it, but I would I, love to. See, and I don't think that I really believe in it, but I really enjoy it and I really <laughs> want to believe in it. Right. And the same thing with ghosts. Like, I don't think yeah. I really believe in them. I've never had any kind of ghost encounters or anything like that, but I really love the idea yeah. of them. Me too. And logically... And horoscopes even. I'll be like, oh, this is totally, yeah. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Like, what is that? The fact that we want to kind of like be into stuff but we we really secretly know it's not a thing like i love the idea of past lives like the lady told um yeah. my sister that she had a past life she was some empress and the name constantine <laughs> kept coming up i was like what Whoa. that's so cool i was just told that i had <laughs> druid energy I'm like oh because i like to wear moo's and i <laughs> sound really sad and depressed what? all the time <laughs> <laughs> Well, they just wear long robes all the time, don't they? I don't shave. (laughs) That sounds about right, actually. It's pretty accurate. Yeah, why wouldn't she kind of go into it? (laughs) No, no, she did. She was like, oh, Oh. there's a lot of empathy there. And, um, like, very kind of stoic. Like, people view them as, like, kind of soft, but they're actually very strong. And I was like, okay, that's pretty accurate. Aw. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Very Hmm. mystical. Whatever. I'm like cool that's awesome but i loved it it was so much fun and i ended up buying my own pack of um they're not tarot cards but they're like these oracle cards and it's about animal spirits and it's Ooh. it's so cool and i've been doing little readings for myself every day it's kind of become <gasps> a little bit of a ritual so you're I gonna do it. readings for me this whole hour you yes. betcha we've changed the whole theme of the podcast right <laughs> everyone tune in to find out what's going on in my life according to this <laughs> card reading <laughs> <laughs> imagine people me, did they were like yeah. that in- invested They're like, this is a great idea wow. <laughs> we have yeah. more listeners on this episode than any other <laughs> so one <laughs> <laughs> and we never follow up yeah did it come true i don't know who That's knows me. who cares <laughs> every episode is a completely new theme for a podcast <laughs> We like to keep people on their toes. <laughs> well, don't make me wheeze laugh because we'll extra lose. We'll lose our one uh, viewer yet. God. Yeah, they're watching us right now. Just okay, go because I'm topic. dying. I know. Okay. <laughs> so it made me think 
I am going to talk about the origin of tarot cards. Ooh. Ooh, Ooh actually. <laughs> nope. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so my sources for this are Wikipedia, of course, and mm-hmm. a website called learnreligions.com, which I thought was interesting that it came up for tarot cards. Yeah, that is. Because I don't connect it with religion. And yeah. I mean, huh. I guess if you're, I guess occult stuff is considered religion right. in some instances. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I think rabbit hole, we need to like uh, start a drinking game for people every time we say rabbit hole. They have to take I know, a drink I don't know why we didn't call the podcast wasted. like down the rabbit hole or just rabbit hole because like. If we right? should. Okay, let's go back. Let's change the name of everything. Let's Never. start from scratch. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Sorry, I think I was making shusha sound. Shusha sound. No, I think shushing sounds. Okay. Okay. So, um, tarot cards. Now we know them as, or um, now in the Western, like English-speaking countries, Mm -hmm. they are typically only used for um, divination purposes. So for telling the future, for doing readings, all that kind of stuff. But they okay. did not start that way. And in a lot of other countries, they still are not really used really? in that way. Ooh. Yeah. They started out as just as playing cards, as versions of oh. playing cards. No. So, I know. Isn't that crazy? I love that. So playing cards first came to Europe in the late 14th century. And a lot of people say they most likely came from Egypt. Some p- people say areas of Turkey, that they came over from that area anyway. Um, the first record of playing cards being used in Europe is from 1367. Really? And the basic pack of cards contained the still current, like, four suits of 13 cards each. So really? that was like, yeah. The original That's like pack so of surprising. Cards. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> there have been lots of variations throughout history. Of some people said there's this other there's like a thirty two um, card deck, and like all these other things. But the fifty two cards with the four suits was the very earliest form of playing cards that existed. That kind of still is the most popular in most places. <laughs> Which I found so surprising. You would think that it would have changed a lot over the years. Yeah, exactly. the centuries. Whoa. The first documented tarot card packs were recorded between 1440 and 1450 in Italy when Mm. additional trump or triumph cards with allegorical illustrations were added to the common um, playing card packs. (laughs) (laughs) They just have to throw in their allegories. <laughs> you know. want to do a painting? Fine. Make sure it's allegorical, though. And playing, time... playing cards? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when I was just saying, like, adding it to the pack, it totally just made me think of, like, Pokemon cards or something like that, where you're, like, going to 7-Eleven and buying an extra little pack to add in. Yeah, the kids are all scrambling. I want the death card. <laughs> yeah, Give me the exactly. plague card. Let's trade. Okay. <laughs> Um, So these cards, these Trump or Triumph cards, were painted for wealthy families, um, (laughs) primarily wealthy families, because they had to be hand-painted by artists, and only the wealthy people. It's lead paint, and they're all like... (laughs) (laughs) I'll just die immediately. (laughs) The card said I would die. It came true. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's the death card in more ways than one. 
Um, so members of the nobility would commission artists to create their own sets of cards, sometimes featuring family members and friends as the trump cards. And because <laughs> it was something that, like, the cards all had to be hand-painted, um, it was only rich people that could afford to hire an artist to do it, and then they were quite elaborate and quite... Um, um, like distinct I think it didn't really become much of um, something for the masses or something that like for the lower people mm -hmm. until the printing press came around and they could mass produce cards and right. then it became something also, that even was then, accessible to would everybody. Would the poor people have time to play cards? <laughs> I know <laughs> it's in all the movies it's all they do in like the alleyways and they're grifters and or whatever they're called. Well but, like, I mean it got dark pretty soon what else are you gonna do? I guess like all your chores inside <laughs> darts <Carry on>. and socks <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god okay so in both France and Italy the original purpose of tarot was as a parlor game not as a, a divination tool hmm. so French tarot is a trick taking strategy card game played by three to five people using a traditional 78 card tarot deck <laughs> so the tarot decks are 78 cards um, oh and this game is the second most pop popular card game in France hmm. like it still is very popular in France they don't use tarot cards as fortune telling yeah. stuff even though a lot of it originated in France um, so I'll kind of go into where let me find it here so the tarot deck has 78 cards and now it's split into like two distinct parts. Okay. So there are the trump cards. So that's 22 cards without suits. So examples of that are like the magician, the high priestess, the empress, like the chariot, death, like all those cards. Okay. Um, and later, once the divination side of things kind of gets developed, it's those cards are called the major arcana. Oh. So the greater it means the greater secrets arcana is like another word for secrets and then the rest of the deck is 56 cards divided into four suits 14 cards each so there are 10 numbered cards and then four court cards so the king queen knight and jack so that's called the minor arcana or okay. otherwise known as lesser secrets <laughs> so that's like the the tarot deck so in in France and Italy, they had an actual parlor game that was using this 78-card deck, but it was just for game purposes purely. Yeah. And I kind of looked up some of the rules of it, and yeah. it seems so elaborate and so cool. <laughs> I actually kind of want to go buy a tarot, a proper oh, tarot deck now yeah. to try to play it. I think that would be so fun. But it sounds very... Um, well, it's kind of like the Pokemon cards, literally. Like, if you ever actually try to play the game, mm. it can get pretty complicated where you're like, I mean, the basics are kind of there, but it's like, there's a lot of reading involved. Each card is like, you know, does its own thing. Yeah. And it's like, why did I... The rule book is like 80,000 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, that I was, thought just, it was like, just a card game. Starting to go into it, I was like, this is super complicated. And so yeah. a lot of people liken it um, to like bridge or something like that. Right. Which I know in itself is quite complex and is something I'd love to learn how to play at some point. But I mm -hmm. think you'd really have to commit to it for a little while to really truly get a full... Yeah. And parents are understanding excellent at bridge, and it's Are like they? I yeah I grew up watching um, them play 
with my aunt and uncle and it was like just the coolest thing oh like, cool because they would just play for hours and i'm like what are you saying and i tried learning just a few years ago and i'm like nope <laughs> damn i should get your mom to teach me how to play that would be i don't so think fun. she remembers now you can forget <laughs> pretty quickly oh really <laughs> I was going to totally make fun of, like, she's not an idiot. She's not going to forget right away. Apparently. (laughs) What do I know? Obviously. (laughs) Well, if you don't play for a long time, I think it's kind of... Yeah, that's true. Like any card game. I don't even remember how to play goldfish half the time. I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, but you're a special case. (laughs) How dare you uh, continue? (laughs) Okay, so it appears that divination with playing cards started to become popular in the late 16th and early 17th century but in a much more simple form. Like it was, it was just with the playing cards. It wasn't really like hmm. um, as in depth as it's become now. Yeah. So the origin of the word tarot derives from the Italian tarocci or tarocchi. I don't know how they pronounce it. Um, the origin of which is uncertain, but tarot was used as a cinnamon, cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh my god. Synonym for foolishness in the late 15th and 16th centuries, which made me laugh. That's what, the oh, that only reason I put that in there. Funny. Be- and if you think about it, like with the origins of it, where you're just playing a game, like it originated there as a game. Yeah. So if people are like, oh, that's just foolishness, like how you were saying, well, did they have time to play? Well, like only the rich people probably had time yeah. to play and it probably was considered something that wasn't um you know um of any kind of higher pursuit right like they're not right. learning a skill and they're not doing anything yeah. it's just pure foolishness you're just playing a game right yeah and I it's amazing that. how easy it is to fall into that where like you and I we created a game in Oh my the God, office we used to work ball. at, like the mailroom. Yeah, paperball. Oh. And how quick, how quickly, like it just, it took us an afternoon. We got so into it though, right? We wrote rules. Oh my gosh. We Ooh, created okay. like 50 to rules. Be fair, we played that game quite often. And I would say it originated right. in the hallway of our high school. <gasps> You're right. Remember okay. the cove? Yes. <laughs> You're right. But like that being said, right? Like I'm not surprised that it's like the 78 card game with like a huge, you know, yeah, uh, rule book because it's so well, fun to just get into it. Cards, it's crazy. Like yeah. that's a lot of cards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the earliest evidence of a tarot deck being used for cartomancy, I love that word for some yeah. reason, shows up in 1750. In France, it became very popular in Paris in the 1780s, and Jean Baptiste Aliette he was a French occultist, was the first to popularize tarot divination to a wide audience in 1785, and he was the first person to issue a tarot deck specifically designed for occult purposes around 1789. What? So it's he like is, down to, uh, they know a specific person. Yeah. Oh my he gosh. He is therefore known as the first professional tarot occultist known to history who made his living by card divination. Oh. Mm-hmm. So in 1770, he wrote a book under the pseudonym Atila, Atalia, Atalia. It's his last name spelled backwards. So I was like, (laughs) really? You're real deep there. Why am I making fun of him? (laughs) He's done more than I have. (laughs) So he wrote a book about um, using regular playing cards, like the 
the usage of the regular playing cards kind of in an occult way and talked about a spread, which was Mm -hmm. with strictly assigned meanings to each card in the regular and reversed positions. So, but that's with just regular playing cards, not an actual tarot deck. So he kind of, he wrote a book about it and it kind of started becoming more um, popular. And then in like 15 years later or whatever, he ended up creating his own or 19 years later or whatever, creating his own actual deck that was specifically only made for divination. Man. There were some other guys around, like there was another guy who wrote a book, um, and I guess they were kind of rivals. Like, so this guy <laughs> at, in like 1785 um, wrote a book about how he was like, oh, tarot came over from Egypt. Like it's all based, a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, talk about how it came over from Egypt and it came over from all these like ancient cultures because they really wanted right. to associate some kind of power with it but there's no actual evidence so, of that yeah. happening yeah so it's just interesting so that guy had written a book about it and and then this guy I'm using the real technical terms Aliette Jean-Baptiste yeah. He kind of respond. They were kind of sparring back and forth a little bit, and he responded to it, saying like, "No, it's actually like this." And then you know they just kind of both were going back and forth. And then Jean Baptiste, he was like, "No, I'm going to make my own thing," <laughs> and he kind of paved the way for um, tarot stuff. Although now yeah. there's like a few different tarot card decks, deck types that are used by <laughs> grass type, bug type. <laughs> Well, no, there's like this, um, I wish I'd written down these names because they're probably significant. Um, and I saw them when we were in the store, but one was like uh, the weight, I think is one of the names, like the last name. And it was basically just decks that were created by people who were doing it very early on. And they oh. created a certain style and a certain thing. And then they had like a partner that would illustrate the deck with them. Ooh. But it was kind of all around the same time in like the 1780s, mm-hmm. 1790s. Um, some of them like, it, I mean, it became pretty popular and like grew and grew. And then it had different revivals at different times. Like in the early 1900s, again, it, it came mm-hmm. back again pretty strong. And then there were all these different people. It's quite an elaborate history. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really care about all that. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to get to like why like yeah. the, it started out as a card game. Just yeah. a basic card game. No other <laughs> basic. thing. Yeah. Well. <laughs> An elaborate card game. <laughs> but then how oh did, you know, like it more, I more wanted to kind of delve into how did it become tarot cards, like how we see them now. Mm-hmm. Um, so his, when he first talked about the spread of um, how to lay the cards out, and then the meanings that were assigned to each card in the regular and reverse positions, these characteristics are still central to tarot divination today. So the stuff that he laid out in his very first book in 1770 are still the very basic tenets that run through the card reading today. Okay. Um, In the preface for his book, this book (laughs) that lays it all out, he explains that he learned his system from an Italian but it's and it's still unclear how much of the ideas in the book were actually his. But he doesn't say who the Italian guy is. Oh, <laughs> so it's interesting okay. that that um, 
it was very much in Italy and France that these tarot cards were happening and it was like a thing. Yeah. In France, it was much more the divination side. In Italy, I think it very much remained to just be like the card game. Um, right. But it, the card game kind of like ended up not being as popular there. But in France, tarot, the card game the card is game, still yeah. very popular there. Huh. And even in um, in Quebec here in French-Canadian yeah. stuff, it's very popular. They even mentioned that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, now I'm all like, let's play. I know, right? The next three episodes will <laughs> be dedicated to us trying to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. It'll be frustrating to listen to. Please join us. I've invited a bunch of spirits into the house. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And they're just getting mad at us because we don't know how to play the cards properly. <laughs> <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> So in 1781, Antoine Court is the guy. He's a French-Swiss Protestant clergyman and occultist. That's quite the mouthful. (laughs) Um, He published a book saying that the tarot was actually an ancient Egyptian book of arcane wisdom. But there's Hmm. no evidence to support any of the... That it has an (laughs) Egyptian lineage at all. I wonder when that whole Egyptian craze happened because it was like... I I feel like... It, 18th century, I thought, but... Um, well, I feel like it was probably around that time because people, a lot of the early cards that were done for the tarot, like even the um, um, the Aliette guy, mm-hmm. he... Uh, a lot of the imagery on his cards, the, the art was very much based in Egyptian kind of aesthetics. Hmm. Even though he said it's even not him. from Egypt, it's not from that... But I think oh because gosh. it was, I think Egyptian stuff was popular at that time. And so I think that that's, um, they were just feeding off of that. It's a business like anything, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, Egyptian, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the, You're such a natural salesperson. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, Egyptian, How come on. How am I not a millionaire? <laughs> um, so the, that's the basic history. I didn't, like I said, I didn't delve into all the other stuff that comes after that because it was so um it it got there's a lot of history there and a lot of different people and a lot of people who believe very specific things it all happened around the same time right um and all the other guys came after this guy so I was like, oh, I'm not going to delve into that too much. But it was really mm-hmm. interesting to me when I was looking at the history of tarot cards because it was very dependent on where you get your information from. Like mm-hmm. when I went to the very general sites that just covered general history of mm-hmm. things, a little bit more matter of fact, it's what I was just telling you about. Like mm-hmm. that's the information that I found. There's not a lot of like distinct stuff of like there's no evidence of anything coming from Egypt right. there's no evidence of these things it you can see the origin a little bit more clearly where you're like okay people were just playing cards and then the rich people were like we want to add in these trump <laughs> cards and and we want them to look like us and we want you know <laughs> yeah. like they they kind of played around with it and built the deck and like that to me seems like a lot more of a logical progression and then somebody else like they start using cards for different things and then yeah it leads to the divination side of it right but when you look at um sites that were very specific like there's like tarothistory.com and like there are (laughs) sites that are like dedicated to this yeah 
it was crazy reading them. First of all, they're all different. They all said different things. Oh my gosh. And they all were obsessed with the idea that it's this ancient and mystical practice that has been handed down through the centuries some people were like it started in 1200 and then it was passed here it was passed there a lot of them tie it to egypt a lot of them tie it's such a livelihood for people now yeah to do the readings so yeah well i think it obviously would make you feel better to think that (laughs) it some ancient that it has this ancient mystical connection to it Right. right I kind of think like I like thinking of it that it's a tool to just be a little bit more present, see the world in a bit of a different way. Yeah. It's just a tool to tap into the stuff that existed. I'm not saying that. I mean, I don't necessarily believe in the mystical realm all that much, Mm. but I'm not saying that that hasn't been around for all these years and that there aren't people practicing all of the divination stuff it's just not necessarily with cards the cards i think is just a tool right and i think you can easily track the the development of that tool you know it was just it was so interesting to me looking at those sites where they were obsessed they were like they they were going on and on about (laughs) they were extremely vague they didn't really have any specific (laughs) dates unless Mm -hmm. they were the dates that i had already gotten from very general things those were the dates and those were the specific details that they cited but all the other stuff they couldn't really specifically say anything but they put (laughs) it all out there anyway (laughs) i was like oh okay yeah well that's like every single politician in the history of the world that's literally what they do yeah, basically. A few facts, mostly garbage, and people vote for them. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so it's just this common thread in all of humanity. <laughs> it, but like, it's how our brains work, right? And that's it's so like, crazy. Oh, you it's said so two funny. things that I totally agree with and that I know for a fact are true, or they sound like they're pretty true. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. Like, yeah. sign me up. That is yeah. so crazy. It's interesting. It was funny because when we were at this place that we went and did our reading, our readings at... I bought a little pack of cards, but they're not tarot cards. They're oracle cards. And so I was like, okay, they had all these sections of traditional tarot cards and then oracle cards. So I actually had to Google it in the store saying, like, (laughs) what's the difference between them? Yeah. And tarot cards are very traditionally, they're always 78 cards in a pack. They have the same things, like the same cards. It can be designed differently. And I think there are ones, like I said, where it's the, there are three different general types of them, Mm -hmm. but they're all generally along the same lines. You know what to expect. It's, it's a lot more specific. And if you're going to do readings with them, it's a little bit more specific in how you do it. Yeah. Um, But with the Oracle cards, the packs can be any size it can have like 10 <laughs> cards it can have like 150 cards can i cards. just say i was sitting here hoping hoping you would say that because <laughs> it sounds like the pokemon card packs <laughs> <Where you, laughs> you don't get you don't know what you're getting it's not a specific thing i'm like please be like pokemon because this is the funniest thing ever <laughs> it exactly is basically i love it so much <laughs> They should. Somebody should do, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay. T- copyright. <laughs> trademark. TM. Um, 
nobody can steal this idea. It was on this podcast first. I'm so paranoid about people stealing my business ideas. We should create an Oracle card pack that you can buy the supplemental cards to it. <laughs> right? Like you do, like kids yeah. do, where yeah. it's like, oh, add this in. Or like Cards Against Humanity has that, where they're like, oh, here's a little whatever. Yeah extra raunchy pack or like a 90s pack or whatever and you can add it into your deck how fun would that be you have like a 300 card tarot deck yeah why not (laughs) well we're at the the parlor game commence (laughs) what's that other um that other card that magic the gathering or whatever isn't that like a card game you can buy cards for it I don't know. Probably. I, I don't know. I've never heard of that similar game. similar to Dungeons I live under a rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of it. That was the origin that of That was so cool. Cards. Yeah. Yeah. I never, ever... You know, it's so funny because I was thinking, like, when we first started this, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to struggle to come up with topics. But it's amazing how things come up almost, like, every, like, you know, just every few days where I'm like, oh, that's another thing. I don't know where that came yeah. from or the origins. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's just this, like my original list that I was making has just snowballed. It's like this huge, long thing. It's honestly daily. And now that people know that I'm doing this podcast, everybody's like, you should do that for the (laughs) podcast. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) write it down. Well, I was thinking we could do like a little, I'm telling you this now, whatever, uh, like a little mini one where we have just like short ones because some of them, they're not going to have a lot of research. Like one of them that I tried doing, it was like, it just kind of gave me an answer right away and I didn't have much to talk about. That's a good idea. We could do like a little mini episode earlier in the week. And do like, because that was. Or just an episode dedicated to like short little ones. Just right? short little ones, just yeah. a bunch of short little ones. We could, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I know it was funny. I have this whole list of ones that I want to do, and this tarot cards wasn't on there because it like none of it was really resonating. I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like doing that this week yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this just happened to me. Why don't I look up tarot cards? Because I have no (laughs) idea of the history of it. And I love that it is a card game. I'm like obsessed with that idea, and now I want to go buy. I know. A deck of tarot cards. I want to play the game. Play this game. Yeah. Okay. And then (laughs) we have the world's longest spread, and it's all just death. I quit. (laughs) Why do I have seven death cards in my tarot card? (laughs) It's at the bottom of the rule book. This never happens. If it does, you're doomed. Sorry. Yeah. Make sure you have good will. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to make extra contact eye contact with the people in the store selling it to me. So if I can see if they feel nervous or not. You oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> All right, so speaking of totally changing your topic mid-week or whatever, because of something, um, on the news. Oh, can I go? Sorry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just bust in there. Um, <laughs> Do it. Yeah, on the news, they said that William Shatner is going to go into space. Oh my gosh. And Will he have to wear his original Star Trek uniform? I hope so. He better. Right. He won't fit into it. He's like 90, Where does think. a bandana. I love it. He must be. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Okay. So it got me thinking of um, Kirk and Spock fan fiction. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That was slash fiction. And I knew, like I was thinking about it. I'm like, I know the origins of slash fiction, right? Which I'll kind of cover briefly. But I don't actually know how far back fan fiction goes. 
But wasn't it, didn't it start with Star Trek stuff? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, tell me everything! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's actually quite a few articles, like Vice.com had a really good article, The Atlantic had a good article, They where they were going back, um, looking at, who else, Own oh, The Guardian, they did one, a whole um, slew of them, of like the forgotten early history of fan fiction, because okay. fan fiction is basically getting more acceptable, more mainstream um, but originally started as like, uh, like where it started getting more popular is yes, like through the science fiction kind of like conventions and fan clubs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So people in the boat, like the seventies, eighties, nineties, they only associated it with like something that like total super, like one guy, he said, it's something that like uh, only like geeks would go to conventions, nerds, right? Yeah. Uh, Star Trek stuff. They'd be made fun of on the news if they ever covered these conventions. But then only like the super extra nerdy geeks would do like fan fiction. So it was even like uh, dweeby. So in- even like within the geek realm, <laughs> yes. it was like only the geekiest of the geeks. Yeah. So it had it. a bit of a thing, I guess, like the tarot thing where it goes up and down, where it's like, okay. But um, yeah, so it became more popular. But, so what exactly, just sorry to interrupt you, um, for yeah. people that might not know, like, what is the definition of fan fiction? Yeah, it's, I was just gonna... Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, because, <laughs> like, who knows if I would have had a definition. But, um, basically, like, how one person put it is, it's the reworking of another author's characters, right? Oh, okay. But the problem with that is, I'll just read this little verb, um... Uh, this form really only appears for the first time in history with the invention of legal authorship in the 18th century through copyright and intellectual property laws after the invention of the printing press, right? So what they wanted to like, they kind of were drawing a line where they said in the past, people would use stock characters like the demon, the wicked stepmother, and they would tell stories, retell them, like they would um, retell like folklore story, folk stories, right? Right. And they wouldn't necessarily write them down because there was no like, again, printing press or like um, uh, property laws or anything, right? But, um, and so one famous example is like Shakespeare, where he, even though he was writing stuff down, technically a lot of the stuff was like, um, patrons paid him like they said like hey write a play with these characters or whatever he would even like just take other people's ideas right and kind of like make a play out of it so it wasn't really his own yeah but you can't really put it together yeah but you couldn't Mm -hmm. really call that fan fiction because back then um like well i'm getting ahead of myself basically like fandom like being a fan is what's so critical here yeah right um but anyway back going back in time so people i think you're not as a fan you're not trying to change it into your own i mean you are kind of writing your own story Mm -hmm. but you're doing it with a different purpose you're not trying to like do it with the intent of reselling it and right yeah and so with the old thing like just the so if it's like this idea of just reworking another author's characters you do have to kind of like draw the line at like you know the intellectual rights, right? Like the Mm -hmm. copyright stuff and publishing and all that stuff, right? So um, now, like, so how do you define fan fiction as like, 
is literally now, as people know, it's just fans taking characters from like beloved stories, um, books, popular culture, basically, right? Books, TVs, movies, and they just basically uh, continue the story. Um, one person wrote such a cute, like they defined it in such a cute way. They said, readers began to find ways to continue the adventures of their favorite characters and share those stories with other enthusiasts. So it's like this, like fans continuing, you know, the story. Yeah. And a lot of times they would rework it so that, because if they were unsatisfied with the ending of a movie or a book or whatever, right. they change that ending and they'd be like, here. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry about that. But <laughs> it's really hard to that. define it because it's like yeah. the definition changes. It's like, huh? but yeah. So anyway, um, so I need to go back. Where's my thing? I had, oh, my thing is gone. Okay, so Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift was written in 1726, right? 1726? Uh-huh. And, no. um, oh my gosh, <laughs> part of my research is over there and I can't move. <laughs> <laughs> go get it, go get it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I don't know why it's the Jeopardy song. <laughs> okay. but it is. All right, I'm useless. Sorry about that. Okay. okay. So this is a bit lengthy, but I just, it made me laugh so hard. So I want to <laughs> read it, okay? Okay. It's from the Atlantic. So uh, Jonathan Swift's Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels, that's so hard to say. Um, <laughs> published in 1726, marked the beginning of this movement. Not long after its publication, readers started to imagine its hero, uh, Gulliver, in circumstances that either were only briefly alluded to in the text or they themselves invented. The more shocking the revisions, the better. Many stories took the form of what was essentially fan art. For example, the famous engraver William Hogarth, <laughs> remember Hogarth? Oh provoked and amused with a graphic representation of Gulliver getting a Lilliputian enema. <laughs> uh. Though outrageous, Hogarth's rendering was consistent with Gulliver's character, a play on the original hero's delight with the size of his own excrement in contrast to the miniature world of the Lilliputian people. Oh, From the start, artists were using the form to explore social taboos and sexuality, which is still the case today. Mm. Hundreds more fan authored works followed, including a touching if body series of poems by Alexander Pope, in which the shipwrecked adventurer's wife, barely mentioned in the original, complains that her husband is never at home to do his duties by her. When Gulliver <laughs> returns from his final adventure, he has become so disgusted with the human race that he hides from his family. The fan-written Mary Gulliver was, understandably, put out by her husband's newfound abstinence. <laughs> <laughs> so... Even like way, way oh back in 1700s, gosh. it was this way for people to be like, yeah, to kind of explore sexuality and taboo topics and like, <laughs> yeah, these like, <laughs> poor Mary Gulliver was <laughs> <laughs> being um, ignored by her husband. And it's just like, yeah, okay. Oh my gosh, so. I can't believe it. It's so old. Yeah. That's and crazy. I love that. It's funny. So to kind of explain it a little tiny bit historically, um, academics thought uh, the 18th century, sorry, 18th century novel invented realism, that that was its big thing, right? Like its okay. big contribution. But now they're saying 
uh, and realism just as a definition it's like where in novels um instead of writing about kings and um you know um like the wealthy they would start writing about common people ah. yeah so it wasn't like just heroes and nobility it was like but i think that's the thing like i think that that's why people want to do fan fiction because they're like yeah they're trying to be a part of what's going on like yeah and that's what their huh. academics are starting to cool. realize like oh no actually it's a way to sort of live vicariously through these characters yeah. explore your own sexuality or own taboo like kinks or whatever or like uh romantic stuff or you know any kind of drama out there like angst and it's yeah. you know because the actual um Wait, no, I'll go back to that. <laughs> Sorry, I come such an interesting topic. I'm like, ah, <laughs> all over. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so characters who the reader knows aren't real, but who seem like they could be. That was kind of what 18th century novels, they think it's more like, right? Where okay. the reader could start seeing themselves in it. Okay. So that's pretty, like, important, too, to this whole I thing. It's not that. just, oh, I love this character what's going to happen it's very much like they feel like they can be no, a like part of something you want to be a part of it yeah mm -hmm. i get that yeah and so another famous example which i thought was kind of interesting um is jane austen so no she herself based wickham from pride and prejudice on one of those just um like common i don't know what you'd call it like a just um archetype type thing of the rake right okay where yeah. Um, that's something that was from lore, like folklore, traditional kind of stories passed down. Yep. That's not really fan fiction, though, right? Because it's just right. not a specific character that she was, like, borrowing or referencing. Um, but there were Jane Austen fanzines and fan clubs. They called themselves either the Janeites or the Austenites. Uh, at the time that she was writing? Uh, I think so, actually. Wow. Um, let me just check. Maybe, well... Or maybe a little bit later? Might have been a little bit later, because here it says the first um, published Austin fanfic, published already, was in 1913, and it was called Old Friends and New Fancies, an imaginary sequel to the novels of Jane Austen by Sybil Brinton. Oh my gosh. Right, so this goes way back. Oh my gosh, that totally makes me think of one of our favorite movies, Lost in Austin. Right. Where, I mean, it's a terrible movie, but it is so <laughs> fun to watch because it's about a modern girl that goes back into, like, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And that's exactly that it. Yeah. And right? it's so fun because you're like, what would I do if I was in Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> okay, speaking of self-inserting, uh -oh. so in modern uh, fan fiction, like, communities you pr quickly become aware of something called mary sue it's like a character that is perfect she's better than everybody else everybody loves her and it's kind of like a no-no you don't put yourself in stories where you're like the best thing ever <laughs> you just don't do that but they did do that and it started back in the 1920s with sherlock holmes fan fiction no way mm -hmm. yeah. so it started at, like there were these societies they where they gathered together so they didn't have the internet right yeah but they're gathering together they debated stuff they debated like stuff like his sherlock holmes's cocaine use and what kind of life he should have and all this stuff right and um they would read their own stories to each other so their own versions and a popular oh story gosh. type was like 
self-inserting like um Jane meets Sherlock Holmes or whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. And then and, people just got sick of that cuz what is who else wants to hear about that? It's just about right. you being exactly the, like, And um, I'm sure there's a good way to like, you know, sort of subtly self-insert, right? Yeah. Because then I think everybody you, does it to a degree with fan fiction. Right. And then and you can kind, kind of, of relate point. to the text and you're like, "Oh yeah, that is like my thing or whatever." Yeah. Like my high school experience of <laughs> Harry Potter. Anyway, um <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't think anyone experiences what <laughs> fan fiction characters actually go through, because <laughs> like, it is, I think, a fantasy thing, ultimately. But yeah. whatever. I digress. So, um, that was already, yeah, going up to the 1920s, right? 1930s and 50s. That's kind of where fan fiction sort of got sucked back right into, like, just purely sci-fi stuff okay um they had their little science fiction clubs where they would share their fan fiction with each other um apparently isaac asimov was a part of such a club and he went on to be published obviously oh my god um then star trek happened and this is huge this was a huge change for because um like conventions started coming out um also the thing with tv is everything became global right Mm. so it became this like global love for star trek so yeah people would start reaching out to each other and like computers started becoming a little more you know um accessible to just normal people right and so they'd go on and try to communicate with each other like with usenet and that kind of thing i don't know that came a little bit later obviously but um there were fanzines like there was spock and alia fanzine (laughs) (laughs) and that had a famous like fan fiction story in it um i don't know if that's the one but i'm going to segue just quickly into slash fiction so slash fiction the definition it's like you'll see a name like two names like a pairing so basically it's like two friends from whatever movie or tv show or story like kirk and spock Mm -hmm. and it's like kirk slash spock which means that they're going to be a they're going to be paired up in the story and it's Mm going to be a sexual thing now for the longest time slash fiction was like just uh like gay lovers sort of thing but now it actually is any sort of kind of pairing which i didn't realize like mm. but yeah so that's kind of intriguing because i thought all fan fiction was kind of basically like <laughs> you know romantic or pornographic at some point right and it's like because most of it is <laughs> you go into yeah. harry potter fan fiction and it's just like most of it is rated E or M, mature and explicit. Like, okay, <laughs> right? And and that's why people love it too, right? They're mm-hmm. just all like going nuts with their fantasies. But like, yeah, with the Kirk and Spock thing, it was very specifically just like, you know, the male thing. And then there's the mm-hmm. femme slash, which came a little bit later. I think it was more popular with like Buffy and X-Files and stuff. But yeah, I'm not sure about that. I was going to say you had to have female characters in order for them to be like for there to be enough <laughs> true there was true. one female on <laughs> Star Trek. yeah but so the first the reason um yeah so the slash fic i guess like the actual term came from the fact that like maybe back in i don't know why they used the slash way like originally but there was a book called the ring um a slash fic novel which was published called The Ring of Sochern, Sochern? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, by Jennifer Gutrich, 
She did that in 1968. Whoa. And that story is Spock and Kirk uh, end up on this planet. Spock goes... Spock goes into heat. Heat? Sorry. It's a type of heat. It's more complicated than that, but whatever. They have to to do it or die, basically. Oh my god, it's just porn. (laughs) It is. And they fall in love. And, yeah, and I think, like, (laughs) it's... It is studied by academia, like, fan fiction in general. Like, now it is. Because it's not so, oh, it's just for losers and it's just, you know... Yeah like fans writing like wish fulfillment stuff it's like, <laughs> but i'm still kind of like yeah it's great that they're exploring things but like it is basically just porn half the time but anyway <laughs> it's interesting like, i don't want to judge it like i wonder if like back <laughs> in the like with jane austen stuff if it yeah. was like erotic fiction basically like i'm, I'm sure there were people who it, did that and oh for sure that. because the gulliver's travels yeah. ones were yeah right and so they must have had like the classic so i think that's probably just because that's not that's the stuff that's not talked about in regular books right right it's the stuff that's not shown in movies it's you know it's sometimes maybe alluded to but in such an innocent way like so people are like okay let me fill in the blanks a little bit (laughs) here's what i I think and it's like they're (laughs) adding depth even like you know with that mary gulliver that's so interesting that somebody would actually think of poor mary yeah (laughs) and her newly abstinent husband and it's kind of like giving her a voice which is kind of amazing back then yeah right yeah absolutely and so now it's interesting yeah and so it's interesting that yeah like slash fit came out in the 60s 70s because that's when you know uh gay rights was like kind of sort of you know yeah and well, like and you're looking into the more at, like, the whole free love and, right. like, opening your mind to different yeah. things. And, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it's just, like, yeah, now it's just, if you go onto the, like, their search engines and their filters are insane and complicated. The um, famous one uh, websites were, um, oh, actually, I should say, back in the day, so um, with the rise of, like, the internet and stuff and the uh, popularity of Star Trek and everything, um, and X-Files and that kind of thing. When people got on the internet, they created these small communities dedicated to fan fiction, but they were like specifically the X-Files fan fiction group or Mm -hmm. Star Trek fan fiction site. Um, By 1998, that's when fanfiction.net, that's like one of the first, maybe the first um, site where all the genres could like um oh, you could called? go and then just search for whatever you were yes. into yeah okay. what is that called like a i forgot the word term like for a it but database kind of mm, yes yeah thanks yeah um yeah and so that was in like 1998 already that's pretty f- like well, i guess that's ancient for kids nowadays <laughs> well, <laughs> for i mean that's me, 30 years like yesterday. after yeah yeah right but i mean that's technology right like yeah but then what happens with that is that they were saying that a lot of the communities kind of dispersed and oh. it's very, um, like there are the pros and cons right now. Everyone has access to it. It's more mainstream. It's not as like, people don't make fun of fan fiction writers really anymore. Well, wasn't, um, what's her face? Who was it? Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight Lady? One right. Of those. Yeah. Wasn't e. one of those? Yeah. She 
her, she wrote, uh, what was it? I think, uh, Twilight fanfiction that turned into Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, there was another girl, she did, like, a One Direction fanfiction, and she got, like, this huge, um, publishing contract or whatever. That's crazy to me. Yeah, and so, actually... I mean, some people are good writers, but it's also, like, what the... Well, yeah, it's funny, because in the, um... They were saying that back in the day with the 70s and 80s, they you mostly had college-age writers mm. writing these stories, mm-hmm. right? And the fans were trading them around at the conventions, right? Because they didn't have really a way to kind of yeah. spread it until the internet came along. And now it's predominantly high school kids, like younger kids writing, uh. right? And But it's always been like female-dominated, mostly okay. women, right? Yeah. Always. So well, we've got something to say. <laughs> yeah and it's kind of that was an it's a point like a bit of a segue bill not segue a uh, side note but um how like it was a way for women to insert themselves into a lot of like more um male dominated yeah like fandoms yeah mm-hmm. like comic books and sci-fi and that kind of thing i kind of so wonder you know. this is a little bit of a side note sorry to cut you off but no go for um it. i kind of wonder if because i uh greg and i just watched that documentary um, on Netflix about how females are underrepresented in the film industry mm-hmm. as like directors and all that kind of stuff. Like there's, it's, they're not in any of those, um, high power positions yeah. to actually direct any of the creativity, like, or make any of those decisions. Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating to watch, but I almost wonder if that wasn't the case. Like if there were more women that were in um, able to tell the stories that resonated more with women if there would be still as much fan fiction or mm. as, if it would have grown maybe in the same way where people are like primarily oh. women are like I actually think it should go like this or I think yeah. it should be like this I mean obviously I think fan fiction would still exist because they're right. it's just you see something and it sparks something in you where you're like oh did you see those the way those characters looked at each other wouldn't that be like a great storyline if they did this and then you actually take the step to write it and and it's not like you could fit everything into a single you know like even though harry potter had like 10 movies practically (laughs) it's like they're never gonna you know go into like lucius and whoever thick yeah (laughs) i also kind of wonder if it's the whole female thing of like it's never enough like Mm. or it's not good enough so here's like I wish they would have gone in like I mean if you look at what guys are into yeah I mean the porn that they watch is like <laughs> zero storyline like <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing they don't need a story behind anything right. right like and I'm not not even just sexually I just think that it's not as much of a a drive there to have yeah. a deeper storyline necessarily well, Tiffany Haddish was just a guest on Conan and she just she mentioned how it felt like to her that the guys that she slept with in her 20 in their 20s in her 20s right um she hooked up with them like later in life and they still had the same moves and it's almost Uh, like they just stick to what they know like when they're 20 that's it they're it's very simple and kind of formulaic and i'm thinking you know if more men got into fan fiction maybe there would be like a lot more satisfaction everywhere across the board because then they would explore 
their interests and their kind of like what turns them on and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's like, just open yourselves up to it. Like, but see, I don't think the way I think the way that we're biologically made, I don't think that men require that. I think it's so much more of a like sex is much more of an instinctual, but maybe not because I mean there are people that are into the whole like domination and right. all of that stuff, which is quite yeah. elaborate. And, and what if they don't sex. know? And I, it's not critical to their livelihoods or anything to know, but like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know. And now it's like a really um, you would probably see a lot more like um, so like LGBT. TQ, what I don't know the whole thing. <laughs> like all the letters. Plus. Yeah, um, there's probably much more of those kind of fix now because it's kind of like a safe place to, you know, explore that. Mm-hmm. And I know people think like you know we're a lot more open and everything, but I'm like I'm sure there's a lot of kids who still don't you know really know what they're into or don't feel safe sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they're, of course they're going to go to these fan fiction sites I think like a lot of them you know they're so popular and when I think it's, it's because like, you feel connected to the characters in tv shows and right? the community the communities because yeah. I still read fan fiction I have fun with it it's like just so some of the stories are so good like mm. really really they just draw you in and you're like oh my god this is amazing it could be like you know you're like why didn't they get a movie deal because it's yeah. not garbage like 50 shades of gray <laughs> yeah because no a lot of it is garbage a lot of it's garbage but it's hard to, you know, criticize because a lot of it, there's a lot that isn't where it's yeah. surprisingly good. And you're like, oh, like, I actually wish this person wrote just, you know, like a non. Like, oh, a quick note. Um, I, as I was going through. Um, so Anne Rice is famously a bitch about um, fan fiction. She's like, no. Is I, she really? Mm-hmm. She was like, I hate it. It's stupid. Like, no, I do not want people taking my characters. Like, she just was like. And I think she even blo- uh, got people to, like, suit some people or got them to no take way. stuff down. Yeah, try policing fan fiction. It's, like, uh-huh. there's so much of it out there. And, but J.K. Rowling, Rowling? Anyway. I uh, I never know how to say her name. I see it in print, but I don't know how to say yeah. it. Yeah. Um, she's okay with it as long as they don't make money off of it or, um, yeah, and as long as they share it. And what's interesting is even back way 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 back when in the 18th century authors some of them were ticked off that people were starting to steal their characters and write fan oh fiction my gosh. but a lot of them were like no we're fine with it as long as it's free that you share yeah. it with others and you don't try to make money off of it we're fine with it so that has remained consistent <laughs> the creators are like yeah. yeah so i mean i wonder how i would feel if someone like took my stuff and created their own entertainment from it like mm. I'm sure you'd get a little bit worried that you're like, oh, but well, if, you if you're entertaining make... yourselves, you're not going to come back for more. But <laughs> I also kind of think, um, like, how could you not be flattered by that where it's like people are enjoy your characters and the world that you've created so much that they just want to stay there all the time? Well, a lot of people said it actually, it's advertising. Yeah. They're going to bring in new fans. Absolutely. And new, you know, like I read um, a star fiction, star fiction, geez, Star Wars one. <laughs> And it actually got me kind of intrigued in, like, the latest, um, like, one of those Star Wars. <laughs> I don't like Star Wars, but, like, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, the characters are kind of interesting in this. And so I watched part of it with my nephew because he's catching up on all the Star Wars movies. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, I can see how people were into it. I'm still not obsessed with it, but, like. But it gave you a different 
kind of viewpoint on it. it like I actually gave the movie a chance. Yeah. Just based on everyone's love for the characters. I was like, yeah. oh, this well, is really Well, because I think neat, that's actually. something great about fans is that it's like, it can yeah. be very infectious, right? Yeah. It's hard know. to be against something when people are so like, no, but it's so good because of this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, I was kind of like scream talking. I was so excited with this topic. I don't know why. I barely spit out half the stuff that I wrote down. I'm I did so all this sorry. research. I kept cutting you off because I'm so excited no, too. No, it's just this, I, it's so hard talking about things that I'm really interested in because then I just like, just fly in this big jumble. <laughs> just go for it. Who cares? Yeah. Let's do it. But it's just such this a This is an cool AM topic. radio. This is but a podcast. Yeah, I genuinely thought it was like, I just took it for granted. I'm like, oh, yeah, it started in Star Trek. And I'm like, no. I am shocked at how early <laughs> it started. Me too. I love that. Yeah. And what, so basically. 1729 with Gulliver's Travels. 1726. Yeah. So basically. Yeah. To some, it basically it was the publishing thing, like the invention of, you know, uh, being like printing press yeah. and then fandom. And suddenly <sighs> it was basically like instant, right? <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. So makes me wonder about like, before that, you know, I don't think people just retold like folklore. They probably. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there must have been something to prompt, like anything that's created, there's a reason for it. It's not like somebody was just Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to start copywriting things because (laughs) we just feel like it. There's obviously (laughs) something that prompted it because people probably were stealing their characters, like. Yeah. flat out stealing them and then doing other things with them like Shakespeare right? yeah and you're like hey you can't do that and make money off of it now I came up with that idea yeah you know <laughs> that's interesting yeah but so it's a whole new world and if anyone out there is still like fan fiction stinks or it's for losers it's like it's not really like the people who are writing it are they're just fans and they're exploring like goofy stuff and the comedy like some of them are so funny and some of them are like just practicing their writing some of them are um it's like therapeutic for them i just honestly think it's such a niche like that i like i know a lot of i don't know very many people that probably wouldn't even know that fan fiction is a thing and that it exists out there yeah it's such a huge that's why i didn't even define it at first because i'm thinking like no everyone knows what this is no and I'm like no that's not <laughs> I know like I'm trying to th- I'm thinking of people in my life and I'm like nope they I'm sure don't realize that that's even yeah. a thing and it's a thing that people do regularly and there's a huge community of people connected to all different kinds of things like there's yeah. people for musicians that write fan fiction yeah it's like look at all the like David Bowie fan fiction that's <laughs> out there right like yeah all of these things where it just this these people musicians or characters or famous people that just spark some kind of creativity in you and you want to see them doing something specific yeah you know yeah and usually i mean yeah you get into the mary sue stuff where it's like i want to see them (laughs) fall in love with me (laughs) and you get those wonderful do you remember that harry potter one we i think started getting into the slash fiction just reading it yeah back in what was that Uni- university days? I think this was like ages ago, and <laughs> we read it because for laughs, basically, oh not in God, the mean way, but like the grammar so was out of control. Yeah, the one time that that character said that Harry Potter, like <laughs> he froze. Oh my! God. I still remember that. I'm like, he what? Froze. And yeah, 
If it you, was pretty funny reading amateur writing. Like, yes. That I feel like a lot of it was amateur where they didn't so really amateur. have editors. Now they're called, I think, betas. And it's very, very common that, that yeah. the, the works are edited and betaed. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, That's interesting. I mm. bet you in, yeah, I I feel like, I mean, it would take time, I would imagine. But I feel like at some point you're going to start seeing little fan fiction things like coming up for sale or you know like maybe not with all the copyright laws but i just feel like it's gonna become something bigger oh, i mean people it already do has. publish their fan fiction yeah. and even though they probably i don't know if they just changed the names or what but one guy he um was originally sued by jk rowling um because he did a sort of sequel and he published it Oh. And she was like, uh, that's a little too close for comfort. Like, right. But then I think after some fan protesting and stuff, she backed off. Okay. I mean, I kind of get it, though, from her perspective, where it's like, mm-hmm. no, this is what I wrote. Like, it's make your yeah. own, write your own damn story. <laughs> you know? But then it's not Blair her original. Blair went to Bogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not... If it's a different story, if it's a continuation, I kind of don't mind. I think I, I wouldn't mind because as long as it's like a sequel, you know, I'd be I like, would you know because what? it's not that you don't have control I mean, I over get it. it. Yeah. And I wouldn't want because you don't have control over it. You have no idea what that person's going to write. And they're affiliating right. themselves with you and with your franchise that you've created. Right. Yeah. So anybody looking up Harry Potter would also find that book and be like right. oh is this really what you believe although like, a huge thing in like the community harry potter and neo-nazi or something <laughs> <laughs> well the nice thing with the community is like the fans actually protect the works a lot so some of them they go okay. too far where they actually originally um the original ones thought that fan fiction should only be written like a, in script form oh. not in prose these oh. were like no it has to be like the tv show it's like that's it no it's just a script weird yeah and so you still have pockets of people who are like, no, it should be written like this. And and the term canon comes up a lot. So uh-huh. if something is canon or not, that just means that like um, what's widely accepted to be, you know, true in that universe, like right. or acceptable in that universe. So um, fans. Yeah, and like if you're working within the rules of that universe that's right. been created by the original. Exactly. And people will take it. their works and they'll say like alternate universe or like not canon compliant uh, right so oh, they yeah, will I remember that and you're like what the hell is this <laughs> yeah you're like no bring me back to Hogwarts <laughs> and so people will be like no like that's just going too far like especially if it's published they'll be mm. like no that's garbage like mm-hmm. and it quickly spreads around the community you can't really get away from it so yeah especially with YouTube and everything all the opinions out there right yeah everybody's got yeah, an opinion so. I love that <laughs> Me too. It's so fun. So fun. I love that. I had no idea. <laughs> I so know. early. Yeah. I think that's um, just such a testament, though, to people wanting to be creative, but not necessarily having the skills and tools to create a story completely from scratch. Yeah. But they're like, no, that really inspired me. It sparked some kind of inspiration. I'm going to run with it. Even, yeah. You know, like you don't have to start from scratch, you know? I just yeah, think it exactly. shows like how creative people really want to be. And the really good writers, it's so fun to find their stories because they really, really 
um, keep with the character characterization, right? Mm. Some of them you're like, it's barely an excuse. You know that people just <laughs> yeah. are using the actor like the way they look. Yeah, And yeah. that you're supposed to just imagine them. But the characters yeah. are like, who are these people? <laughs> you're like, this is just your daydream. Please yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Nobody would ever say that, let alone that character. <laughs> yeah, like Draco is a southern drawling cowboy or something. And you're just like... <laughs> okay. What is happening? <laughs> but then, with something stupid like that, you're like, "Oh, this is dumb." But then, if sometimes I not, I've never read something like that. But like, um, if I did and it ended up being actually really good, I'd be like, "I don't care." You're like, "Yeah, I could get Just into this." A good story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to like suspend a lot of, you know. <laughs> so but, funny. Yeah, yeah, anyway. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm so, going to go buy some tarot cards so that I can learn this new card game. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to try not to <laughs> summon demons when I also play with tarot cards. <laughs> You're not just going to go read some fan fiction? Do tarot cards even, like, summon demons? Like, what? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They tell what your they future. Do? Oh, that's a seance. Yeah. Oh, go my get a God. Ouija board. I'm going to go be stupid. (laughs) As per usual. All right. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Bye.